With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome back to the latest episode of The Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Verducci, and my good buddy, Joe Madden. And Joe, I've got to tell you, something happened this week. An Angels pitcher did something that nobody has done this year. And it's been done only 10 times in the last four years. And believe it or not, it does not involve Shohei Otani. (laughs) By the way, uh, let's just get this out of the way with Otani. I still do not see Artie Moreno trading Shohei Otani. They're a 500 team. And if you're telling me that Artie Moreno is going to give up on a $234 million team with Mike Trout coming back in September when they're four and a half games out of a wild card. And most of all, Shohei Otani has a chance to break Aaron Judge's home run record. And Artie Moreno is going to give up all of that to get a couple of prospects. Sorry, I'm not buying. Uh, You're probably absolutely correct. Um, And when you put it, you know, the four and a half behind in a wild card, the second wild card makes a huge difference. Uh, and I keep going back to the time with the Rays. We were down nine nine games or something like that, eight and a half or nine on September 1st and got uh, into the wild card with that uh, the greatest night in baseball. So, yeah, I mean, there's, the thing is, if it gets to the point where uh, you don't get in, you've kept them, you don't get anything for it, uh, there's, there's, uh, it's got to bother you just a little bit. But then again, there's so many – this is different. There's, the more I've thought about it, there's so many other items attached to this as you just described that it would be very difficult uh, almost under any circumstances for Artie to do that. So you're probably right. Yeah, you know how much it means to Artie to put an entertaining team on the field. It's yeah. a very fan-friendly place if you go to a game at Angel Stadium. And to take Shohei Otani away from them when he's chasing records, um, man, that would be painful. Okay, so what Angels pitcher am I talking about and what feat am I talking about if it's not Shohei? It's Griffin Canning 
who threw 120 pitches. That is the first 120-pitch game of the 2023 season. It took more than half a season for a manager to allow a pitcher to throw 120 pitches, and it's been done only 10 times in the last four years. So good on Phil Nevin. Griffin Canning, was you know, he struck out 12, five and two-thirds innings, had some traffic, six hits, three walks. But obviously, Phil Nevin's watching the game, and he saw a guy who had good stuff, obviously, swing and miss stuff, had him staying in his delivery. Um, you know, his arm's not going to fall off at 120. I, I don't know how he came up with this number that that's the magic number nobody can go beyond. And listen, you know, Joe, the Angels love the six-man rotation, so you always have the built-in recovery day on the other side of it. Now, listen, we've talked about this, Joe, and I'm, I, I'm wondering about your thoughts here on these hard pitch counts and especially not allowing pitchers to even approach 120. Well, first of all, I was watching that game, and Griff looked outstanding. I, I, I really like Griffin Canning. Uh, different. Uh, his velocity was up. Um, his breaking ball did not have the hump, and it was sharp. He just looked more confident pitching. I've always thought that was the big thing with him is that just to believe in himself because he has good stuff. He's a great athlete. So I even before you uh, said Griff's name, I really I thought that might have been the answer to the question. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, the pitch count situation. I've I've never been a subscriber to this 100 pitch exercise that uh, everybody's kind of devolved into. Um, for me, like you just suggested, when a pitcher came out of his delivery would be one of the indicators for me. All of a sudden try to force it. Uh, you could see him grinding and trying to get more velocity, trying to manufacture things. When your pitcher starts to attempt to manufacture uh, velocity or, or break on the mound, and you can see it, that's probably the time to get him out of there. Things are going to go awry. He's going to stop making good pitches. So that, number one. Number two, I'll give you an example. James Shields. Shields went off the – I can't remember the, the year. I'm, I'm bad with that. But started pitching a lot of complete games or like the seventh, eighth inning kind of games. And uh, his Waterloo number for me, weirdly, was like 108. That was the number I had to look at. Because uh, he would go, 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 uh, cruise, and all of a sudden it comes 100, no problem. And then we get into that 108, 110 area, and things would just start to fall apart. But eventually, and I talked to him about it, eventually he got beyond that also. And, and again, his arm definitely did not fall off. And although he had uh, problems prior to becoming who he was as a very good major league pitcher. So, yeah, I agree. Um, watch the delivery. Know your guy. Six-man rotation, absolutely. You have more liberty to extend a pitcher and have him go more deeply into the game, pitch number-wise. And sometimes, last point, um, you might have like the first two innings, you might throw 40, 45, or maybe even 50 pitches based on two long innings, settle down, and then all of a sudden you got, you're got you at 100 at uh, after seven, and you've only thrown 60 pitches for the last three innings, whatever, or five innings. So there's a difference in how you get there. Uh, watch what your guy's doing as he's settled in. Is he cruising? Is he out of his delivery? All those things should be factors and not just a number. Let me give you some, speaking of numbers, some numbers. Um, pitchers under the age of 32, because you know that the governors get even less for, for younger pitchers in the game. Not that 32 is that young, but right. for all pitchers under the age of 32 this year, no one's thrown more than 115 pitches. And again, for all pitchers, 120 pitch games. I mentioned Canning is the only one this year. Last year, three. 2021, five. In 2011, it's not too long ago, 129. You want to go back to 2000? 466. 
There were more 120 pitch games in the first 10 days of the 2000 season than in the past four years combined. That's how far things have been cut back in terms of allowing pitchers really any kind of a, a length. And again, I don't know how we came up with this number 120 is like that's the third rail of pitching. Nobody. And that's kind of what bothers me, Joe, is is that it's such a one-size-fits-all thing, right? You're telling me that there are some guys who, as you mentioned, stay in their delivery, have an extra day of rest, or especially an established guy in his 30s, bigger-bodied guy. He can't get to 120 when it was routine just a decade ago. Uh, Ten years ago, you know, there were 25 guys who were 25 and younger were allowed to go 120 ten times. It hasn't. Ha- it happened once in the last five years. That was Shane Bieber in twenty twenty one, where a guy twenty five and under went one hundred and twenty pitches. Are we just conditioning? Exactly. You look at the minor leagues. That's what's happening. Guys are getting to make major leagues without throwing one hundred pitches. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. I've seen this. Um, I'm talking about young pitchers who've had three, four years in the minor leagues are getting to the major leagues without ever throwing even a hundred pitches. And look around here at the trade deadline. Look at all the teams looking for starting pitching. The Dodgers, the Rays, the Diamondbacks, the Reds, the Marlins, the Astros. Why? Self-fulfilling prophecy. We're not developing pitchers to provide length. Um, let me ask you, I mean, with the um, uh, the starters, um, it's, it's almost at the point where, like like you're saying, in the minor leagues, nobody's really developing uh, these starters to, to, to pitch more deeply into the game. So we devalue the starter. I mean, the with the advent of this uh, the Uber bullpens, where you want to hand the game over to, to this guy, this guy, and this guy because they're all throwing 100 miles an hour. There's, I think that that plays into this somehow. That's just uh, organizationally uh, driven or analytically driven. That's part of what you're seeing. And, and beyond that, the starters themselves. Um, although I watched Nola pitch last night. He really pitched well with Philadelphia. But are we, like, developing this this group of um, – like a full effort. Not I, I hate the term maximum effort. I always hate it because you always should be giving your best effort. But full effort pitchers where they're just coming unglued every pitch. There's no art to the pitching at all. I'm just trying to throw as hard as I can for as long as I can. Is that is that part of the mentality too, which then causes these guys to burn out more quickly in the game? I, that happens, although I was watching, uh, was it Herman last night? Nice changeup. Um, you, you're watching, like I said, uh, Nola, really some nice shape to the pitches I watched. Kyle Hendricks the other day. So, I mean, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's a devaluation of the starters themselves. They want managers are like top step. Want to get that guy out of there because I need to get these bigger arms in there based on what my analytical department tells me to do. That's part of it. And again, like the method, uh, full effort, let's go top of the zone, uh, throw it as hard as I can. And it's the, the art of pitching is pretty much gone awry just because it's been proven, I guess, you get to a, above a certain velocity number, uh, uh, contact becomes less, strikeouts go up. So there's there's all conspiring uh, components of this that I think if you broke them all down and sat down and put a list on you know why this is happening, um, the the way the pitchers have been taught to pitch now and, and what the organizations are looking for compared to what had been going on before, there's there's definitely a, um, uh, a distance between those two things that is causing this. To occur, and I'm with you, man. I like it because I, for me, you, you get a better bullpen by having a guy go more deeply into the game, and I, um, it's just it's just common sense. 
Yeah, I think you're right about the mentality of starting pitchers. Um, it's basically a relief mentality now. If you look at velocity, it, it's the highest in the first inning. Yeah. Um, so I, I get it. They're encouraged to do that, that the game is predicated on, hey, we've got a lot of guys behind you in the bullpen. And if you watch the All-Star game, it's a good example of what's happened to the game because you really didn't have brand name star starting pitchers going out there to pitch in the game. Uh, we just don't have those because pitchers aren't getting as many wins. And I know the win is not a great stat to value the true value of a pitcher, but fans dig it, man. If you're a 20-game winner, listen, you walk into a bar and you say, hey, I won 20 games in the big leagues, you're going to press a lot more people than talking about your FIP. So when you watch the All-Star game, it's a, it's a bunch of hard-throwing relievers, one after the other, who come into the game, and you're like, you know, hey, where's Randy Johnson? Where's Greg Maddox? Uh, you know, we, we are, we're not getting those stars, right? And think about this, John. I'll go back to the Rays. They've never had a pitcher 25 and younger throw 120 pitches. Never. The last time they had any pitcher throw 120 games was seven years ago. Drew Smiley. And by the way, Drew Smiley also was the only 25U pitcher who threw 116 pitches. That was back in 2014, Joe, when you had him pitching against the Texas Rangers, had thrown seven shutout innings. He was at 94 pitches. You put him out there in the eighth with a 6 nothing lead, and uh, he kind of struggled that inning, gave up uh, you know, a couple of runs, and you took him out at that point. But um, Drew Smiley, you had him, 2014, a, a, a young pitcher, 116 pitches. Drew Smiley is still pitching today. A, a mind one stretched. I've always looking for that with starting pitchers. When they get to that point and they're doing really well, let them go. They have to learn how to pitch the eighth and be successful, and then the ninth and walk off the field and shake hands. Without opportunity, it's never going to happen. I do believe, we've talked about this before, it, it, trans, it transforms pitchers. I talked about Jake Arrieta uh, with the Cubs that year when he had that complete game shutout in Minnesota that I took a little flack over because it was 8 nothing and left him in there uh, to complete the game, but then he became a beast after that. And you're looking for a smiley to become a beast. I remember I did it with Edwin Jackson, where he, the 99th pitch in a game in Texas one night, the old ballpark, he threw a pitch 99 miles an hour. So these guys don't know what they can do. It's, it's, uh, it's again, the mind one stretch has a difficult time going back to its original form. I want them to think they can do this, and they're going to become better when they're able to uh, finish what they complete Man, it, it's a it's a game changer for them and for the team. Last point, first inning velocity. I was always concerned, uh, and again, I'm going to use Shieldsy as an example. When I, he came out throwing 94 in the first inning, that was like, ah, I get a little bit upset or not upset but concerned about it because sometimes he's just so over-amped that he's, he's thinking velocity tonight, and that is counterintuitive to his great changeup, his really good curveball that I thought, uh, I kept telling him, man, throw that pitch more often. It's that good. So sometimes with my guys, if I look at the gun and the numbers a little bit high in that first inning, sometimes I get concerned. And that to me is where the gun plays an important role for me as a manager, just watching things like that because they overamp, trying too hard, uh, you know, just trying to blow the ball by hitters and not really pitching like they can. So those are the different things that I've been able to, that I always was able to um, try to, ascertain or understand from what I'm watching. But uh, first inning velocity can bother me sometimes. And I love, especially like a Drew Smiley, if, uh, if he had been able to finish that game, uh, I really believe it's a, it's a difference maker for him career-wise. 
Well, it's a question I get a lot, you know, in today's game where the athletes are better trained, bigger, stronger, and they have more recovery. Why are they pitching less? And my answer is they can. They're fully capable of throwing more pitches, throwing more innings. They're not allowed to. They're being trained to do less. That's your answer. It is. That's correct. Our next topic, Joe, it's on the issue of cookie cutter. I brought up something, and I'll call it a mini rant on MLB Network. And after I brought it up, my phone started blowing up with people. And I'm talking about former players, coaches saying, right on, brother. We'll talk about that when we get back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Okay, Joe, I mentioned I had a mini rant on MLB Network and... I saw it for the fourth time this year. The winning run scored on a wild pitch, and the catcher was in a one-knee stance. I understand the one-knee stance. I get it. I understand the game. You want to steal pitches in the zone, especially down in the zone. You want to take some load off of your catcher. It's great. I love it. 
But when the winning run is on third base, if the ball gets by you and you lose the game, to me, you must prioritize that runner on third base and not trying to steal a low strike. I've just seen it too many times this year. Uh, And again, I understand the premise behind it, and I agree that it works. But, you know, it's kind of like as a defender on the field in a late-game situation where you're defending maybe the batter in the box if you're up by one or the runner on second base. You have to defend the runner on third. And I'm, I'm sorry, you just cannot move your body as well when you're in a one-knee stance. So I, I went off a little bit on that, and these teams doing things the same way, regardless of game situation. Uh, and that's why I started to hear from a lot of general managers, former catchers, it's like, please, I'm glad you brought this up because why do keep teams keep doing it? Joe, you're a former catcher. Give me your take on this topic. Well, first of all, it's nothing new uh, for a guy to go to one knee. I mean, we, we were able to do that back in the day. Nobody uh, nobody on in less than two strikes. You would go to one knee just to preserve your legs. And when it came to receiving, yeah, you could. The thing that nobody ever, ever talks about is even angling your body on corners. I mean, just to get to one knee, angle in, right-handed pitcher, outside corner, right-handed hitter, catching, just turn your right shoulder in a little bit, and all of a sudden, boom, you present better to the pitcher. It's easier to hold that ball moving away from you. All these little things in, in play. I mean, Bob Boone with, uh, was around Booney a lot. Booney had this great concept where he talked about you like a little solo cup you used to use um, to get water out of the cooler the you know the circular circumference and then the point comes back into your chest for years booney and that's what i adopted uh you, you whatever you receive on the uh circumference of this cone you just bring back draw back to the point low you get lower than a low ball you get outside outside and above and you bring the ball back it's nothing new it's, it's just that all of a sudden it became more popular again with the advent of uh, social media and the ability to get these kind of messages out there all of a sudden it's it's considered new or or in vogue whatever so yes uh i'm good with the the one knee nobody on base i don't have to throw anybody out less than two strikes i don't have to block it that's when you really can relax and do whatever you need to do but when there is a runner on base and especially now with the um the stolen bases becoming so uh lucrative and positive and often uh you do i i i used to get in trouble as a thrower when I would get lazy with my my left knee getting, or my excuse me, my right knee kind of going down and touching the ground and coming back up, wow, it was tough to to gain your rhythm throwing. So, and again, I listen. I wasn't uh, the end all. And that's not what I'm saying, but you could feel the difference. So for me, nobody on base, less than two outs. Sit as much as you want. Tony Payne used to sit on the ground in Cleveland. Nobody ever talks about this. Happened a lot. It's nothing new. So uh, yes, I don't like when I lose a game when the catcher is just picking up balls uh, with the runner on third base, winning run, situation, whatever, uh, you can do both things. And you could do both things well if you nurture and teach it. And um, that's it. I, I just, I've been, I've been watching. I actually said recently, I think uh, I've been impressed with some guys that I thought even in spite of being on one knee, I've seen some pretty good blocking with different catchers that have gotten that down. They're really agile with the upper half of their body. But uh, and and again, like I said, it does help your legs. I mean, if you get to that position as a catcher, uh, the fatigue factor should be less. However, uh, there's a lot of technique involved here. I think you could do both things and you pick the right time to do either. 
Yeah, I think you make a good point there, Joe. Um, There should be room for both. And listen, we wouldn't tell batters to stand the exact same way in the batter's box in their setup. We wouldn't tell pitchers that deliveries should be exactly the same. So catchers come in different sizes, different flexibilities. They have different strengths, different levels of agility. Why are we treating them the same? And I, I understand what you're saying. I've seen guys who can do it. You know, there's guys back there who are very athletic, who can do it, an Adley Rushman type of catcher. Um, But I'm telling you, you can't treat everybody the same because I see especially these bigger guys when they're on the one knee, if that pitch is going to be on the other side, in other words, the side where the knee is up, not where the knee is down, he just physically cannot move to that side and can't get the body in front of the pitch. So you're at the mercy of just being a first baseman and trying to scoop the ball backhanded. That's it. You've lost the ability to get the body in front of the ball. Well, the opposite foot. I mean, like you were saying, if you're if you're uh, when you're trying to uh, go to your right, as an example, a big part of that is pushing off with your left foot to really extend your distance, your ability to cover more ground on that side. So there's it works both ways. You're always trying to use the opposite leg to push you in that direction. You're trying to get your body on an angle so that you block the ball and keep it uh, like kind of a funnel over home plate in front of you. As opposed to, you know, you've seen guys, and this was part of my scouting reports uh, prior to the series, guys would go to block and the ball prim- would just go almost anywhere. So if you could ascertain that from a certain catcher, the moment you see a ball in the dirt, you're going because you know he does not control the ball in the dirt well in front of him, whereas there are others that it'll, it'll hit them and it's all, it is like a sponge and the ball pretty much just falls right in front of the catcher. More difficult to really uh, uh, anticipate ball in the dirt in advance. So all these things, all these things have always been there. And again, it, it, people are, are react as though it's new and it's never been spoken about before. It has. Um, different guys athletically can do different things. But back in the day, <laughs> um, if you got caught, that ball got by you because you were perceived to be lazy in regards to your stance and how you moved. There'd be a lot of questions to answer right there. Yeah, I think the difference now is we have all these measurables, right? Mm -hmm. So I go back. I really thought it really began to proliferate with the Minnesota Twins. They had Mitch Garber there, who was not a a plus defender behind the plate, and their catching instructor, Tanner Swanson, had him adopt the one knee. And, you know, if you look at the metrics that show the Twins were getting more pitches that year, and and I'm not a 100% believer in some of these metrics. An umpire can flat out miss a pitch, and the catcher will get credit for framing it. Um, but that being said, you know, the Yankees actually hired Tanner Swanson because the twins did such a good job stealing pitches. And it's a thing in baseball now where they're chasing um, these metrics of pitch framing. So what Tony Pena did now is that there, there's numbers being attached to it, and that's why it's prolifer- proliferated. And, hey, Joe, I want to give you some props because you called something before the year started on pitch outs. And I've actually started to see a few old school pitch outs. We talked about the proliferation of stolen bases with the new rules. And one way to combat that is with pitch outs. I've seen it, especially if you've had one or two disengagements by the pitcher. And now the runner thinks it's green light time and you hold count leverage. Great spot to have a pitch. Count. I saw Brian Snitker do it the other day. You're not seeing it like we did in the 80s, but I think it's coming back a little bit. And credit to you, Joe. You saw that coming. Well, I mean, let me just go back to the one thing real quick and hold that thought. But uh, the framing part of it, uh, I'm surprised that umpires are not more offended by all this. I really am. (laughs) I mean, the fact that they're being deceived. um, I mean, I know they have to go over things. But if I know I'm being deceived by a catcher pulling pitches, and I watch it all the time, 
Uh, back in the day, man, again, you, the guy would just tell you flat out, don't do that. You're not going to get anything. So uh, I'm still uh, baffled by the fact that umpires have not been offended by this framing proliferation over the last several years and what it means and, and how it makes them not look so good. So that part um, I've always, I'm, I'm amazed about. Number two, the pitch out. Part of it is a lot of these managers have never pitched out. Uh, some of the bench coaches have. And the thing you're always concerned about is how's my pitcher going to react if I'm wrong? And I used to have those conversations with my pitchers uh, in the preseason. Listen, if I'm wrong, don't blow up. You're very capable of throwing a strike after throwing an intentional ball. I've seen you do it before. I was, Kyle Hendricks, uh, I never got to the point where I did it, but I, I talked to him about this. I said, Kyle, because you're, you know, you're a sinker ball guy, you put the ball on the ground, would you be offended if I'm wrong if we pitch out on a 2-1 count, as an example? And he said, no, go for it, man. Kyle's a beautiful man. Uh, but this, these are the t- kind of strategies you need to uh, discuss in advance. You're able to find out what are the counts when guys like to go. Normally, it's early in the count. That you're going to, especially today and with the good base dealers of the past, they would want to run early in the count as opposed to late in the count, number one. Number two, if teams are playing a four-game series, if I'm playing a four-game series against a team right now that likes to run, I definitely want to pitch out in that first game, and I would alert my pitchers and catchers, listen, we're going to pitch out more in this first game because I want them to think about it because they're here for four days. In the Texas League, it was five and sometimes six-game series. So I would always tell my guys the same, they're going to pitch out in this first game multiple times just to see if that slows them down. So the, these are the, the seed of doubt is a very powerful uh, tool to, to put in place against your opposition. If you could plant that seed, it could work in your favor advantage as, as the series goes along. So again, it's, it's just, it's not in a vacuum. All these things need to be considered and you have to be willing to take chances and right down to the fact that I uh, looking at the base runner and what he does differently. And there's, there's, there's definitely, uh, things you can see with the runner's signs where he, he only looks like he's going when he's leaning, but the better base runners to me were the guys that always looked like they were going and they didn't. Uh, I always encourage my guys to always look like you're going and attempt to deceive those that are making or calling pitch out. So all this stuff was in play, man. Looking runnerish, I call it. I, I think yeah. that's a great yeah. idea, especially, Joe, in today's game. Mm-hmm. If I'm a runner, and, and I know I have the even the threat of a stolen base, mm-hmm. look like you're going to run because what you can do now is you can start using up those disengagements. Correct. And, and that's going to make it easier to run. So, yeah, I'm with you. Guys who have a short lead and the hands are on their hips, I, I'm not into that. And listen, I, I love the idea, too, of showing your playbook early in the series, uh, letting the other team know that, you will use those tools. And speaking of tools, and we're going to bring this all the way back to Griffin Canning. I saw something in that game, Joe, was just, I loved it. You know, the Yankees now in the minor leagues are teaching this vault lead at first base. And we've seen Anthony Volpe do it in the major leagues. Well, the Angels came up with the antidote to it. They actually put on a planned time pickoff play, which I've never seen at first base, Joe. Maybe you have. Mm -hmm. But I've seen it at second base a lot where the pitcher doesn't look at the runner. He's just following the catcher's lead. And when that catcher flashes the glove down, the play is on, the pitcher spins and turns. In this case, the catcher flashed his glove immediately when Peraza started doing the vault lead, that little hop lead at first base. So he's stuck in the air as Canning. And you know Canning's got really quick feet, good athlete. Picked them off at first base. I love that. That's just a great job of, of the Angels scouting. 
and coming up with a way to defend um, what's sort of a trend now in the game, these vault leads. Was that was just a run around first base only? That's it. Run around first base. As I said, I've not seen that at first base. I've only seen that at second base. Of course, you don't need it now with pitchcom. You can do that with pitchcom. But yep. at first base, the catcher can see the runner at first base, do his vault, and that's when the glove goes down. Sure. Kudos for the Angels. Nice play. Yeah, uh, Tony Gwynn was really good at that at second base. There was a lot of guys that were really good. Uh, the, the runner at second base, take his lead. Pitcher looks at him. He stands still. The moment the pitcher looks back, he takes a hop. And then if the pitcher doesn't come back at him, then he goes. So there's there's all these little the nuance with the – I never heard it called the vault lead. I understand that. Uh, but, yeah, you can do that. The other one would be well, – that's why I was asking about runners on first and second. Uh, pitcher comes set, and he looks this way, like towards second base, and that's when the, run, the first baseman breaks uh, behind the runner at first base from a right-handed pitcher, and you have a chance to pick him there. So there's, there's all these picks have been in play before. Uh, I don't know that I've necessarily seen glove down with the runner at first base only. Glove down was a big play with the runner on second base. Uh, the thing with all of that, too, is, and I've always, all these pickoff plays. For me, once you put them in a spring training, that's beautiful. But uh, you need to have reoccurring, like during PFP, pitchers fielding practice during the season. You bring your guys out, maybe, I don't know, once every other homestand, a 10-game homestand, and review. You re- review the timing and the mechanics of these plays. Because then you will use them. Uh, and then furthermore, you have to know which pitchers are comfortable doing this stuff or not. All these all these little nuance uh, matters. Some pitchers don't like to throw to first base, as you know. And so you can't work certain plays with certain pitchers. And uh, and then the timing in and of itself, some guys forget what the timing is all about. Crazy, but it's true. So you need to remind yourself during the season with little vignettes, small uh, practices during homestand to cover your pickoff plays if you really want to get into them. I really enjoy talking about this stuff with you, Joe. I mean, you see the game in such a, a detailed way, but you, you, it doesn't, you know, you don't get really caught up in it, but you understand what you're seeing. And I think your training as a catcher probably comes into play as a manager where you see the whole field and, um, and you're responsible basically for every position when you're a catcher. You are. I mean, and listen, you, you're, you know, catching, it, it is true. You could go for four and stink at the plate, but if your pitcher pitches well and you win the game, you go home, you're exalted. That is like, that's like going three for four with the bomb. Um, and with the catcher's perspective, you are. You are watching the whole game and right down to the point where you're handling the pitching staff, which truly is the game. I mean, for me, uh, uh, catchers that really spend uh, quality time, not only understanding the, uh, the game plan, but also understanding how to get your guy through some difficult moments, the conversations in the dugout, those uh, those the proper trips to the mound at the right time, all that stuff matters. And again, you, you talk about this, everybody talks about this or mentions it, but there's really uh, not, never into detail how important this this actually is. So Yadi Molina, why were the Cardinals so successful for so long? There you go. Uh, this guy had all that feel and he was so good at picking right times to do things. And remember how calmly he would walk out to the mound in a really tight situation part of the effect there was walking slowly to the mound and making sure my guy slowed things down. And I know that's uh, counterintuitive to today's game, but those are the kind of, the, the, again, nuance is so important. That's really helped that Cardinal staff for so many years was Yachty's slow walk to the mound. I agree. Catchers, they are managers in training, at least the good ones. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Hall of Fame week. And when we get back, uh, I want to give proper due and respect to 
The newest Hall of Famer is being inducted Sunday in Cooperstown, New York. Scott Rowland and Freddie McGriff. We'll be right back. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to Stan, the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Joe, it's always a great time in Cooperstown, New York. If if any of our listeners haven't been there, it's definitely worth a trip, whether they're there for induction weekend or not. Um, man, if you love baseball, it's it's a bucket list destination. And it is fun with its induction weekend. It means so much to the guys who are in the Hall of Fame and especially the ones going in. As I mentioned, this year we have Scott Rowland and Freddie McGriff. Let's start with Freddie first. Mm-hmm. A Tampa guy, Joe, I'm not sure if he was around your Rays teams much, but just a, a terrific human being. I was a writer who voted every year for Fred McGriff, and he went 0 for 10 on the writer's ballot. In my all my years voting, I can't recall a time where a player received really – criminal support when it talks when I talk about Freddie never even getting to the halfway point uh he get on he got on a committee vote the contemporary era committee and went in unanimously so good for Fred McGriff uh he definitely deserves it your thoughts on crime dog yeah I was so happy uh Freddie is wonderful uh he is all of that when I first got the job with the Devil Rays, I invited several former Rays, Devil Rays, to come out to camp. And, and of course, Freddie was one of them. And that's how I got to know him. Him, Davey Martinez. I had Davey coming on out, uh, Roberto Hernandez, um, some dudes that had played um, prior to that. So Freddie shows up. And first of all, never heard the guy laugh. It's the most contagious <laughs> laugh in history, and you just can't help. He, he just is all that. But as a baseball player, you know, I worked against him uh, from the other dugout. Um, 
such a good hit. I mean, everybody just talks about power and he had 493 home runs and miss, missed that 500, whatever. But this guy can hit. And for a power hitter, he really pretty much balanced out his walks to strikeouts, which I always uh, consider when I look at a hitter. So that was that was something I thought was interesting. His OPS was way up there. And the fact he played 19 years, right? Was it 19? Yeah. he Something like he that? He was like, just so consistent, too. Yeah, the longevity component of all this. You have to consider all that. So he had power. He was a good hitter. He had a great uh, uh, concept of the strike zone. He played wonderful defense. And on top of that, in the in the clubhouse, like you already mentioned, um, hard to beat. Uh, Freddie, uh, as a guy, uh, he's a man's man within a clubhouse, funny guy, and also a great baseball player. So I couldn't be happier for him. He was a little bit in the Angels, uh, Angels, the, the race front office when I was down there. And I did get him to come out to camp, and I did get him to, to participate a little bit. But the draw of Old Memorial Golf Course got him quite often. But regardless, <laughs> I, I, I really like the guy a lot, and I'm very pleased for his um, getting into the hall. Yeah, listen, one of the things, many things about Freddie that stands out is he defined a cleanup hitter when that term really meaned a lot. And I know lineup construction has changed a lot, but for the better part of baseball history, uh, the cleanup hitter was the rock-solid guy, right? He was the guy who's going to provide power. He's going to drive in runs. And if you're a manager and you've got Fred McGriff, you can almost print your lineup cards with his name in there because he posted every day. Mm-hmm. There's only two players in the history of this game who have batted cleanup more than Fred McGriff. And that's Eddie Murray and Honus Wagner, two first ballot Hall of Famers. And I'll tell you a quick story, Joe, about what it meant to opposing managers when you had the presence of Fred McGriff in a lineup to deal with. It's game five of the 1996 World Series. The Yankees are in Atlanta. They're clinging to a one-to-nothing lead. It's the ninth inning, and Joe Torre has two runners on base, and Andy Pettit, his pitcher, is due up. Now, common sense tells you you hit for Andy Pettit, you try to go for an insurance run in that situation, and you turn the game over to your closer, John Wetland. Instead, Torrey lets Andy Pettit bat. And Andy's wife is in the stands, Laura. And she says, what is he doing? <laughs> he never does this. Andy never pitches the ninth inning. When I asked Torrey about it later, he said, I did it because Fred McGriff was due second in that bottom of the ninth inning. And he said, Fred McGriff scared the you-know-what out of me. And Freddie read the book. We put it in the book, The Yankee Years, and he was just blown away. Freddie's such a humble guy, as you know, Joe. Yeah. He mm-hmm. thought that was the ultimate compliment, that another manager thought so much of him mm-hmm. that Joe Torre left Andy Pettit in in a one nothing game to bat just because he wanted the left-handed Pettit to pitch the bottom of the ninth to Fred McGriff. And it worked out. I mean, Wetland eventually came in and closed the game out. And the Yankees won one to nothing. That's Fred McGriff, the specter of Fred McGriff in the lineup. And he changed the Braves team in the 90s by the acquisition from San Diego. Um, you know this as a manager, Joe. There's certain guys in the in the lineup that you have to account for all the time, and they will dictate decisions. Yeah, I wasn't in a game like that. But at the time I walked Josh Hamilton with the bases loaded in Texas, um, that was you know, the first time I did anything like that. And furthermore, you're just talking about that situation. Uh, Zim sitting right next to Joe, right? Don Zimmer. Yep. I'd love to have heard that conversation because here's, here's, I mean, I could imagine if, if Joe had said that to Zim, I, I know immediately that Zim would have supported that decision because he loved the outside the box kind of uh, uh, connotation to it. 
Um, I'd be curious to, to ask Joe about that uh, or if Zim had possibly uh, ran it by him before because that is a classic. That That's where manager bench coach work really well together. When you get Joe and Zim working together like that, both respect each other so much, and you have a manager there that's not unwilling to listen or take advice from a guy like Zim or a guy like Tori talking to Don and, 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 and Zim would be there in support. hundred percent of my support, what you're talking about right here. So that had to be a great conversation leading up to that moment. That's a great observation. The, the, the by-play, the relationship between Tori and Zimmer was that's the ideal situation because Don Zimmer, as you know, yep. loved to play an aggressive game and he would put thoughts in Joe's mind that otherwise might not have been there. It doesn't mean that Joe was following him 100% of the time, but if Joe decided not to take a suggestion and Zim from Zim and implement it, it wasn't like Zim was offended. You just move on to the next play. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's... that's well, how about it, the World Series with the uh, Indians? He was in my head there. That's right. When we tried to bunt, I tried to bunt with uh, Javi with the full count. If it comes into with, your uh, mind, Jason do it. It can do it, exactly. <laughs> so he's influencing even you. <laughs> he does to this day, man. Uh, okay, Scott Rowland. You know, kind of like McGriff, I mean, Freddie went 0 for 10 on the writer's ballot. It took Scott Rowland six ballots to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I love their stories. I think they're instructive because, you know, not every Hall of Famer was uh, MVP. Not every Hall of Famer played for one team his whole career. You know, there's some longer paths to Cooperstown and and Roland, like McGriff, played for a bunch of teams. But when you break down the numbers, Scott Roland was one of the 10 best third basemen of all time. And that's true when you look at the way he combined base running, especially defense, slugging, the ability to get on base. Uh, And again, he Joe, he might not have been one of those guys where you saw him one night and you said, that's all a famer. But if you look over the course of his career, and this is a guy who played at 245 pounds, and he played third base like a shortstop, Scott Rowland, I'm happy for him. Another, like Fred McGriff, great dude um, who had to wait a long time to get that call, and he is so deserving of the Hall of Fame. He belongs. That's a, a wonderful description because you just described a really, really good baseball player. When I worked against him, He's going to, he's going to beat you somehow. He was so intense and so involved in every pitch. And, uh, one of those guys who had never quit and you, you're right. Third base, the plays were unbelievable at bats when it really mattered heads up. Um, just a really good base, like I said, good base runner. I would always respected him just for the way he played the game, uh, for lack of better term, because he played the entire game and he cared and he was a winner. Um, that's what I saw when I saw him on the field. I said, Damn, I mean, it, this guy comes to play every night, and he comes to play with a full toolbox. There is every tool in that toolbox, and they come to bear that. And I plus, like I said, this—I uh, don't know him personally, but from my perspective, it's incredible desire to succeed. Um, he had this this thing about him that uh, I don't know what kind of a leader he was in the clubhouse. I don't know if it was vocal or by uh, people would just follow by his example. But he had all those ingredients to me from a distance. And I had so much respect for him. And always, you always were concerned that you did not want to see him up there at the wrong time because he was that in tune to every pitch. You know, I, I like doing comps because it, sometimes you appreciate a player more when you say he's a lot like another player. 
so I wanted to give you in both these cases of Roland and McGriff, uh, present day comps. Okay. Mm-hmm. Scott Roland, let's take him at the age of 32. And that's the age of Nolan Arenado right now. And a lot of people think, Oh, Nolan Arenado, man, he's slam dunk hall of famer. And he probably will be with his consistency, the defense off the charts at third base, consistent 30 home run, 100 RBI guy at the age of 32. Scott Rowland was a 283 hitter with an 879 OPS. Nolan Arenado, 288 hitter with an 879 OPS. Exactly the same. <laughs> the war for Scott Rowland, 55.1. For Nolan Arenado, 53.5. Rowland's actually slightly ahead. So think about that. Scott Rowland at the age of 32 was Nolan Arenado. And we talk about Arenado as slam dunk Hall of Famer. I'll give you one for Freddie McGriff. And it's another first baseman named Freddie. It's Freddie Freeman, who's 33. Let's take Freddie McGriff at age 32 and compare him to Freddie Freeman. McGriff's OPS is actually higher. They're very close, 902 to 897. Slugging, McGriff's got an edge, 521 to 511. Home runs, McGriff's are slightly ahead, 339 to 309. RBIs, McGriff, 1007. Freeman, 1004. They're essentially statistical duplicates. That's how good Freddie McGriff was. If you're watching baseball today, you're watching Freddie Freeman, and you go, man, this guy's one of the best first basemen in the game. He's headed for the Hall of Fame. That was Fred McGriff. And that's why I'm stunned that the writers didn't vote him in and it took a committee to rectify that mistake. Wow, that's right on the money. I'm a big Arenado fan. Of course I am. Everybody is. I saw his first game in Colorado um, I did his golf tournament this past uh, spring before they went to camp. Uh, really a wonderful man, young man. And uh, uh, he's, yeah, he, the, the, the way I just described Scotty Rowan, you could ease, I could easily have said exactly the same things about Arenado. The only difference is I saw Arenado in person more often. And yeah, with Freddie and uh, Freddie. That's uh, really interesting stuff, man. That's good, that's good research on your part. I think it, it personifies in, in exact terms. Um, that where these both of these guys are going in the future, Arenado and uh, Freddie Freeman. And uh, yeah, I think it does put a lot of things in perspective for the naysayers of either Roland or uh, Freddie McGriff as they got voted into the hall. And I, I did hear some of that, or you read some of that. But now, uh, contemporary-wise, if you look at these players, which you, I would think contemporary baseball fans uh, will easily say, um, and especially if these guys play a couple more years, that Arenado's in the Hall of Fame, Freddie Freeman's in the Hall of Fame, and that really answers all those questions and puts that to rest about Freddie McGriff and Scott Rowland. Well, congratulations to both Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. Um, it's always a treat to see these speeches when these guys get up there. Uh, Scott Rowland, he's got a dry sense of humor. I'm expecting him to drop a few funny lines. Uh, and Freddie McGriff, yeah, I'm with you, Joe. I just want to hear him laugh. I'm yep. sure he will. He'll be smiling oh, the whole yeah. time. He's got that infectious laugh. He's, he is. And if he brings Chico Fernandez, the uh, video guy for the Rays, which I would love for him to do, during the games down there uh, at the Trop, uh, Freddie, at the time when it was permitted and all that stuff, I, I'd walk back to check on something. Freddie would be sitting there with Chico. And Chico makes Freddie laugh. And that's all I needed to know because it was a tough part of the game. i go back there and, and Freddie would be there smiling with Chico. So hopefully he's going to invite Chico to his uh, induction ceremonies. That would be awesome. Very cool. Well, it's been a pleasure this latest episode of the Book of Joe. And Joe, you always come through as a closer for us, taking us out. Yeah. What do you have today? Well, it, it really, um, I think, um, 
personifies, again, exemplifies exactly what's going on in the game. This comes from Bratch Ricky. Real, real succinct and, and right to the point. A great ball player is a player who will take a chance. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I know in recent uh, interviews I've done, talking about teams that are stuck in a little bit of a malaise, take chances. Don't just be station to station. Don't be afraid of making a mistake. And if you do make, if, if a player makes a mistake, talk to him about it. Don't, don't punish him. Don't denigrate him for it. Uh, go through the situation and reconstruct exactly what happened and possibly help him make a better decision next time. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm in full agreement with this. A great, not good ball player, a great ball player is a player who would take a chance. And, uh, Fortune favors the bold. It's all encapsulated there, Mr. Ricky's uh, quote. I love that thought. I immediately thought of the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, they'll get thrown out of the bases from time to time, but there's no governors on those guys. And I love the fact that Kevin Cash allows them to be themselves. What's the line you like to use, Joe, that never get in the way of greatness? Yes. Give these guys the freedom to be great. And that's what Ricky says, a great ball player, not a good ball player. I love it. Takes a chance. Great show, Joe. We will do it again next time. All right, brother. Have a great day. Thanks, man. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.